0: and welcome to the bossed podcast episode 234 and wow has it been such a traumatic past few weeks if you are a regular listener to the podcast you heard last week from the incredible jessica sharp who guest podcasted last week all about how to advocate for diversity and equity in the workplace and last tuesday's very special very unusual episode of ours all about our plan for active anti-racism in the wake of George Floyd's unlawful death. Murder is another way to put that. And just all the the protests that have been happening in the past few weeks. It just felt like the right time for us to reexamine how we can be better and do better. And I encourage you to do the same in your own lives, in your own families, households, places of work and communities Everyone out there protesting. I raise my fist in solidarity with you. I appreciate you. We see you. We support you. And on today's episode, another very special one, I'm excited to introduce you to Tiffany Wright, who we featured at Boston Bootcamp in the past, who is exactly who I think our listeners need to hear from right now. Because as much as we want to be in the streets, be making noise, be advocating, and be protesting, we also need to take care of ourselves so that we can be in this for the long haul. So buckle up. If you are in need of a little self-care, if you're looking for an expert opinion on how to sustain your ambition, but also how to sustain your motivation around such horrendous systemic change that we need around things like police brutality and racism in America and in the world, this is an episode for you. Tiffany is a mental health professional and author speaker, a self-love ambassador from Inglewood, California. She obtained her BA in sociology and a BA in psychology from the University of California Davis and her MS in social work from Columbia University in New York City. She's facilitated healing, educational and professional workshops, seminars, trainings and events for universities, high schools, social service agencies and community membership organizations in the U.S. and abroad, including... At Bastet Bootcamp, on the topics of empowerment, wellness, trauma, and mental health, she is the founder of the platform, the Bee Life. The and that's the B-E-L-I-F-E.com, which promotes self-love and mental health awareness through events, training, and media content. She's the co-founder of the social enterprise organization called the COCO Coalition, which we will get into today. She's a registered associate clinical social worker in California, specializing in trauma, grief, and loss, eating disorders, intrapersonal conflict and relationships. Focusing on online therapy and eco therapy, nature-based therapy, and really, it's an honor to have her on the podcast today to share her insights as a mental health practitioner uh, into how we can how we can be radical and be good to ourselves along the way. So, Tiffany, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. Thank you for having me. We are so delighted. I mean, I appreciate having worked with you in the past at Bastet Bootcamp. How you bring such a great perspective as a therapist, as someone who knows this stuff, and I think now more than ever we need to hear from women like you, black women, but also women in a position of telling us how to deal with some of the collective trauma that everyone's experiencing, and that black and brown folks in the U.S. are especially experiencing in an acute way right now, how, first of all, how, at the, at the risk of sort of asking a basic question here, how are you holding up? How are you doing? How are you sustaining yourself right now?
1: I am holding up pretty well because I've mastered restorative practices and self-care for myself. Um, in general, I would definitely say I'm more exhausted emotionally and mentally than normal. Mm. However, because I am very intentional about resting and stillness time and mindfulness practices, you know, I don't feel as depleted as I probably would if I didn't have those restorative practices.
0: Mm. And I I think you mentioned to me on the phone yesterday, you were like, I like to take naps on my Tuesdays in in the midst of my busiest days. (laughs) Is that one of those practices? Yeah.
1: So I take naps between sessions, not all of them, but one of my focuses with clients is trauma. So I am doing a lot of heavy lifting for Intense processing sessions. And so it takes a lot on a physiological level for a person to be present and in tune Mm. to another person's emotions. It's a it's a skill set a very intense skill set and it's not just listening it's paying attention to fluctuations and it's being able to keep composure when another person is crying or being able to just notice the little things that a person who's not clinically or professionally trained would be able to do Um, so it it takes Mm. more effort and especially during a time like this I have a diverse caseload but most of my clients are black so they're in sessions crying but I'm not Mm. crying I'm trying to keep it together to be able to save space for them and so it takes a lot of energy to even keep myself (laughs) from crying so to speak to be able to hold space for them so yeah so like naps are something that I'm really big on Chinese herbs I'm really big on water I'm really big on um and stillness time and journaling those are all my like really big culprits
0: Awesome. That is such a good punch list for folks looking (laughs) for ways to sustain themselves right now. Right. Because you and I were talking a little bit about the concept of even discussing mental health Mm -hmm. in the age of racial division, racial conflict, which, of course, is as American as apple pie. This is nothing new. Mm -hmm. But when it is leading the headlines. Right. Everywhere you look, every social media platform I open, how do you counsel black and brown folks, especially, but also white folks and others and everyone on just managing their own mental state when it feels like the world is on fire?
1: So, one thing that I've just known to be true is that just as humans, everyone wants to feel seen, wants to feel heard, wants to feel validated, and wants to feel. And be understood, not just feel understood, mm. but be understood. That is the foundation of all work that I'm doing with clients, no matter what's going on in the world. Because I build such intentional rapport. With my clients, we do a lot of focusing on regulation, uh, emotional regulation. So like learning how to self-soothe yourself when you're having intense emotional experiences, but also just learning how to be really transparent, really honest with where you are and check in with your emotions. And so that's so important to me because it doesn't matter what end of the spectrum you are, what ethnicity you are, where you're coming from, how informed or not informed you feel, how involved or not involved you are. Like this is impacting people in some way. And so the things that I focus on with my clients is, okay, I want you to identify your feelings. But let's explore all the reasons you feel that way. And when I hear things like shame coming up or I hear things like not feeling, feeling invisible or not feeling valued or feeling uh, worthless or feeling hopeless or feeling guilty, I try to tap into my clients' strengths that I know that they have. I try to tap into a place of reminding them of the work that we have done and how they can bring that work into the the current space, right? Because at the Mm. end of the day, race-based trauma is not the same as childhood trauma, is not the same as trauma that may have come from a natural disaster. But at the end of the day, there's a removal of safety. And at the end of the day, you're trying to repair what it means to not feel safe, right? And so most of my Mm. clients have experienced trauma. So I try to translate that same kind of just groundwork that we have worked on. I'm a history buff. I'm very, I don't talk a lot about history or talk a lot about politics because they can be convoluted topics as we're seeing, but I'm very knowledgeable and, and, From my own knowledge of education or being well-traveled or just how I grew up, there's a lot of context that I have that I think Mm. the average person doesn't when things like this come up. So I don't have the same type of shock that other people have because all that's playing out, like you mentioned, is just history. Mm. All that's playing out is what's been playing out for centuries and centuries and centuries are just at a different level of consciousness that it's impacting people in different ways now. Mm-hmm. And so I really try to bring that context within these last two weeks into my sessions to help my clients, especially my non-Black clients who have been carrying so much shame and, and feeling like, how did I not know this? Or I haven't been doing anything or I haven't been speaking up as much as I could and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, guess what? This is how the system is built. It's not built for you to even know what's going on. It's not built for you to even be aware of what's going on. That's how it's built. (laughs) And that's the experience that people, whether black, brown, anything in between, everyone gets that experience. You're not supposed to know. It's not supposed to be obvious. And so just really trying to help them from that space. And okay, well, you have these emotions. So what can we do? What do you want to do with the emotions? And that's how we move forward and stuff like this.
0: Yeah, that's a really good reminder. One of the things you said that really spoke to me is that lack of safety, mm. which is so much more visceral right. for black and brown folks yeah. than white folks. Right. Like I've been having those conversations with white people, too, which is I feel guilty. I feel bad. I feel full of shame for not already knowing this stuff. And that's one kind of rage or or strong negative feeling that's coming mm-hmm. up. Right. some mm-hmm. of us are pissed mm-hmm. finally, as we should be consciousness raising right is part of social movements always in terms of getting people agitated and getting people out in the streets and making things happen right but that removal of safety for black and brown folks is so overwhelming i would imagine i saw a video recently of a young girl just crying talking to her parents Mm. saying the color of my skin puts me in danger in this world right And what do you say to someone like that? Like, when I remember the Sandra Bland incident, I was co-hosting a podcast at the time with Bridget Todd. And I remember reading the news with Bridget, who looked at Sandra Bland's background and said, that could be me, right? Mm -hmm. This this woman was moving across the country. Mm -hmm. This is like, this is not a far away, disparate other. How do you get up each day, especially as a woman of color, knowing that, justice is not always guaranteed. I don't know. I mean, it's just, how do you move through that kind of fear? Yeah. Well,
1: for me, I don't live my life in fear and that's part of the my resistance. Yeah. I've been talking about it a lot on my IG activity that I do Monday through Friday called grounded in gratitude and I say that my most potent form of resistance is my black joy because this system is built in a way to threaten any type of experience of joy or freedom or liberation for black bodies as well as indigenous and other people of color. But speaking Mm. for my experience, Experience specifically, the system is meant to make you feel inferior about your hair, about your skin complexion, make you feel embarrassed about where you live, how you speak, mm. make you feel like your body is only worthless unless you're an athlete or you're hypersexualized in media. It's meant to not <laughs> make you just feel like a whole worthy of joy human being. And for me, my radical resistance is experiencing joy. So I don't experience life through fear also mm. because I am very much connected to a sense of purpose. Mm. I'm very connected to my value. And from a very spiritual perspective, I believe that every person in existence, part of their life is dedicated to themselves and their community, but also to their ancestors that pave some type of path and opportunity for them. So that's how mm. I move about my life. Life. And if I'm constantly living from a place where I feel I'm living in fulfillment, I'm living in joy, I'm living in connection, I am living in purpose, essentially, yeah, I could be removed from this earth and I do feel like, okay, with my life because it was full. Ah, And so that's why I don't live from a place of fear Mm. intentionally. Now, of course, there's very simple things that happen. Like if I'm in a car and I see a police within a hundred feet of me, my heart, my heart rate starts increasing my chest starts beating out a little bit more further i become hypervigilant right like that's the physiological response to mm. lived or witnessed traumas that's what ptsd looks like and that is the fear that most black bodies carry that they don't feel comfortable seeing police being around yeah. police and it may even be like that being around certain other groups it depends on the person so right there is a very neurological manifestation of what fear looks like. And that is when it's not just fear, it's actually PTSD. And that is the thing that a lot of people don't know that black people carry in their body because there is cellular memory. Your cells carry the memory of emotional experiences and not just experiences in your lifetime, but it's, is. decoded in the DNA of those who procreated to make you. So when you have a people who have had centuries of trauma, that is when we get into the conversation of intergenerational trauma. And the thing that you experience in the present is also a reminder of the thing that you experienced in the past or people connected to your lineage have experienced in the past.
0: I am so glad you have brought that up. I'm like geeking out over here because I can laugh at myself a little bit. I went on like a 30-page tangent, (laughs) and the initial copy of my book didn't make it to publication, all about epigenetics, Uh right? Which is what you're talking about. (laughs) exactly. And my editor and I were like, what is wrong with chapter one? Chapter one is a mess. How do we clean this up? It just doesn't make any sense. And she was like, what is this tangent about epigenetics doing in here and i wanted to (laughs) keep it but it feels like it was maybe a different book right and so it's so funny if if you're a reader of the bosta book any of our listeners right now chapter one has come a long way let me just say that but epigenetics is such an interesting Mm -hmm. field of study which kind of reminds me of privilege as a conversation overall When it comes to combating burnout and stress, we're not all starting at a level playing field, even from birth. So how do you recommend folks, or or actually, I would say in the light of how much is happening with protesting right now and how many folks are out there on the front lines right now, how can folks listening be especially vigilant about the symptoms and signs of PTSD? And what, what would you recommend they do if they feel like that is becoming a big part of their life?
1: I always recommend seeking professional help. Yeah, that's my always number one go to, you know, I think people really try to avert seeing a therapist and they make it seem like it has to be a last. Oh, Mm. I can't do anything else. That'll be my last resort, right? When in actuality, it's, it's actually most safest for you if that's your first resort, because your friends are not trained professionals. They (laughs) didn't have to go to school for six plus years and work an additional four or five years under supervision of somebody to be able to support the health of someone's uh, mental status, right? Like you're not, Just saying that a doctor is just a doctor. Let me go have my friends look at my body. It's exactly the same thing, but people don't want to see mental health equivalent to physical health. So that's a whole nother tangent.
0: Well, actually, I should just say I'm living proof of that because I just got off a call with my therapist right before this interview. (laughs) Shout out to Megan. (laughs) It's my favorite. And let me tell you, you do not need to be a total hot mess to get a lot out of therapy. Right. right? Exactly. You you just got to be a
1: human because we all have been scathed by the world and we all experience stress and therapists can help you whether you're trying to work through something or you're just trying to manage your stress. Yeah. But yeah, I always would recommend someone to go to therapy. There are people who accept insurance, that don't accept insurance, they have like base fees, they have sliding scale fees, which means that they'll lower rate, meaning depending on like your financial status, there's organizations that offer free therapy. Now, of course, because of the pandemic, and this time, anyone that has free therapy, they're booked and busy and having wait lists because all types of depression and anxiety is afloat all around the country. But there are therapists that are offering pro bono sessions and things of that nature. If you can't get to therapy, I would do research. You can go on National Alliance of Mental Illness website. You can go on CDC website, find the symptoms of what distress looks like, PTSD looks like. If you're noticing that you are becoming increasingly worried or fearful, having problems sleeping, things of that nature. Breath work is always the most important thing you can do. On my website, livethebelife.com, I have a whole list of mental health resources and I have a whole list of mental health apps. So apps for meditation, relaxation, managing and tracking your emotions. But breath work is the most important thing when you're feeling overwhelmed. If you Mm. can also decrease sensory overload, That means dimming down lights. That means not looking at screens. That means diminishing sounds that you hear. All of those things also increase the brain's activity and thinking, oh, my gosh, I need to be alert. I need to be alert. So if you can decrease your sensory overload during these times, it's really important. Freaking Mm. stay off social media, people. Limit the (laughs) social media limit it. I
0: need you. Limited. I need you in okay. my saying that. Limit
1: the social media. <laughs> I mean, listen, how the brain works, it knows danger. It doesn't mean that danger has to be living, breathing right in front of you. Danger right. can be activated sensory wise when you're watching TV, when you're listening to something, when you're reading something. This is what people don't know. So constantly looking through the news feeds and looking at comments and looking at the news and looking at articles, that also adds to sensory overload and learning how to pick and choose what you stay updated on, when you stay updated, and, and managing that is really, really, really important. I would also say rest, <laughs> like rest mm. is really, really important when your body is feeling overactivated, overstimulated by things. And then some other just restorative practices, finding meaning that can help you in, in this time. So finding meaning in what's going on, finding mm. meaning in how you could give back, whether that is supporting another person, whether that is listening to another person. If you don't feel like you have the emotional capacity to do that, you could read, you could offer somebody something. Like giving is, is actually a very natural part of the human experience mm-hmm. because we are social creatures. And so that can actually right. be a really helpful uh, coping tool. I would say coalition and community building. During these times, we could feel so overwhelmed that we can isolate and shut down, or this can activate you feeling invisible even more. So that's why right. being connected to any type of community is really important.
0: I want to ask you on that note about the COCO Coalition, yeah. which I, I'm looking at your website here. I really was thinking about this when you were talking about your black joy mm-hmm. as a form of resistance, yeah. right? Cocoa is a social enterprise. It says here, dedicated to curating holistic, safe, and empowering opportunities for women of the African diaspora to connect, grow, and thrive, and it looks like incredible. Your vision is to create a world where black women and girls connect, grow and thrive. Tell me about the Cocoa Coalition. Oh my gosh,
1: look at it. I just got goosebumps just hearing you you talk about it. So Coco, we actually formally established it in 2018. When I say we, it's me and two other really close friends, Mimo Haile and Jasmine uh, McGee. And it, It actually started from an event that we launched in 2015 in response to the Sandra Bland murder. And at Uh the time, I I lived in Oakland. And Oakland is a very, like, social conscious, political conscious, justice-oriented city. It's where the Black Panthers were established. So it's just very culturally normal out there that when there's something happening, people gather, people talk about it and what I noticed is there were all these Black women who were also dying in police brutality cases but it wasn't getting as much acknowledgement at the time I think Mike Brown had just been killed. So me and another friend was like, let's gather women for a brunch experience because millennials love brunch and (laughs) (laughs) let's gather for brunch and let's talk about self-care. Let's give people a space to talk about the microaggressions that are going on at work. And so it was just a beautiful space and people loved it so much. And that started a movement. And so ever since then, we had started hosting this annual Black and Beautiful Women's Brunch and it expanded nice. to LA and DC and Chicago and Atlanta. We've done it in uh, Accra, Ghana. I've done it in Johannesburg, South Africa. Ah. Um, and so we we do all these annual events every year since 2015. And so in 2018, we wanted to do more than the brunch. We wanted to create more meeting spaces and opportunities and start doing conferences and retreats and all types of things. And so we're just all about just like pureness of just bringing yourself and connecting to another person there and building sisterhood and it being right. known as an authentic, safe space for women. Like everybody has to wear a mask. I mean, William Shakespeare talks about this, right? Uh, we're all performing, right? Like this is just a standard mm. that everyone has to do. But <clears throat> something in the Black community, um, a theory that comes from a scholar, W.E.B. Bois, speaks on double consciousness, how you wear a mm. mask in your Blackness and then you wear a mask to be accepted in the face of white supremacy. And so that is making your hair a certain way when you're going to work Mm. or making your voice sound a certain way so you don't threaten your colleagues or tibetting your attitude so they don't think that you're overly aggressive and like all mm. these just little things that other people don't have to think about in their day-to-day experience and we just let women come and just like let it all release mm. and be transparent because just thinking about the experience of I mean anybody right but I'm just being right. so specific thinking about the experience of black women in this country they came over as West African Africans and they were told that they couldn't speak their language, that they couldn't practice their spiritual beliefs, that they couldn't move the way that they wanted to. They had to be separated from their children. They had to be separated Mm -hmm. from their spouses. Then they were raped. Then they were attacked. Then they were beaten. Then they were told to work. And there was never any space for you get to feel and you get to relax. So this became the culture for Black women to learn how to adapt to the world by holding as much weight as they could. So never learning how to give yourself permission to just laugh and just express yourself and just be comfortable is a way of life for most Black women. And so our organization is about creating these spaces so that you can just like let it all go. Give yourself space to be angry or sad or hurt or say you're lonely or say that you're afraid, whatever your responsibilities don't allow you to do. So that's what Coco was all about.
0: Yeah. I mean, it sounds so aligned with your philosophy around Black joy and that agency, yes. right? That agency inherent to you taking your power back over your own choices. Yeah. And also as a therapist, right? right. You, you create space for people. You hold space for folks. Mike I guess my one of my final questions for you is why this? Why have you chosen this work for your life's work? Why have you committed to creating space for others in your life's work? Because I almost hear in you describing that trajectory of right African American mm-hmm. women in the US. Mm-hmm. I hear you also saying, "Yes, I'm going to be my my resistance is my existence and my joy," but also you're holding space for so many others. Why did you choose this path for yourself?
1: Simple outcome of being a wounded healer. I grew up in as much love as there could be, that there could be, but there was also a lot of dysfunction, substance abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, selective abandonment or physical neglect from parent. And so I... I grew up and yes, a lot of love um, and care, but also a lot of dysfunction. And when I had my therapist at eight, I felt like she saved me from myself. Mm. And and I had suffered depression ever since I was a child. I had my first suicidal ideation at seven and they were pretty Mm. normalized for me. And I noticed that. And once I stopped trying to actually engage with the ideas and just like let them play. I saw like, oh, this is just how I am. Like, this isn't just something going on. This is just how I am. And mm-hmm. and I had a fascination with human behavior. And so I said, I want to be a therapist. I want to ha- be a voice for children who don't have a voice or just for people. And that was always the thing that drove me. And when I When I went into my studies and I just became more aware of who I was as a person and just how human Mm. behavior is and society and all the stuff, I also created space to learn about African history, African-American history, and all these things just became a passion for me. And so Mm. in my 20s when I was in college and I started having my own therapist and doing my own work. I really started getting tapping into mindfulness. And just in my own journey, I just really saw how much. I like evolved in a way that the average person probably wouldn't. And I I witnessed my healing and I was intentional with my healing and I experienced it. And the more grounded and rooted I became, the more clear it became that I wanted to create that for other people. And the more clear I became in that, I became even clearer in what my personal mission and my personal purpose is in this world. And it came to me that it is to break cycle of dis-ease, dysfunction, and struggle mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and financially. And once I came to that place, everything for me was about aligning with that purpose. Yeah. And so that's why everything manifests in the way that it does, because... I saw the impact of the trauma that my mom experienced. I saw the impact that my grandfather experienced in other people in my family. And my mother died two years ago at 56, and she survived multiple rapes, multiple sexual assault, DV relationships, abuse in so many ways, shapes, and forms. And I saw how it killed her. Like she died from a pulmonary embolism, but I do know that all the chronic illnesses that she developed, I'm more than sure that they were connected to her traumas and Mm. other people in my life. And so I just really became committed to like, I want to help people release the emotions that kill them. I want to help people release shame and anger and sadness, because these are the things that Western medicine doesn't tell you actually kills you or helps. Right helps foster cancers and cardiovascular diseases, not being able to have the tools to release these emotions and this stress. So... I can go on about that, but I know that we're at the end, (laughs) Um, but yeah, like those lived experiences and understanding that is what drives me all the time. And even in the midst of times like this, where people feel heavy and they want to carry weight and they're angry. I'm like, there's space for that. And I need you to take care of yourself. Like you can hold the duality of being angry and being grateful. You can hold the duality of being angry and sad and finding space for joy in your life. You can do both because if you hold on to just one emotional experience, that's the thing that's going to kill you before somebody even touches your body.
0: Mm, I think that is the perfect takeaway to end on, Tiffany. It is so clear to me that you walk the walk, that you are on this journey, and that you are having the impact that the world really needs right now. So I'm so honored to know you, to have collaborated with you, to just have your voice heard by our listeners. That's exactly what our folks need to hear right now. So thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing. And thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the work that you do. I really appreciate it.
0: Awesome. I'm going to drop links to your Instagram, to Coco to your website in today's show notes so our listeners can follow up and keep up with the brilliance that is Tiffany Wright. Thanks again, Tiffany. Be well and we will be in touch. Thank you. Now I want to hear from you, boss. How are you taking action and sustaining yourself along the way during these troubling times. I'd love to encourage you to weigh in in the Bossed Up Courage community or in the comment section of today's corresponding blog post, where you can also find all of the links to today's show notes and everything that Tiffany was talking about, we will link to. That's at bossedup.org episode 234. And if you've got a boss move of the week to share a win of the week, some way you're making progress, whether it's in your own life and career or in your community, we want to hear from you, as well as those folks who have career conundrums for us to unpack on future episodes. You can call the Boss Up podcast hotline at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week. Now for this week's Boss Move, I want to share some of your great responses from my Fierce Friday check-in from this past Friday in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook. If you're familiar with the Courage community, you know that every Friday I ask you, what have you done this week that made you feel fierce? What are you most proud of doing or being or feeling this week? And last Friday, I wanted to ask specifically about how you've made progress in your life, your community or workplace in light of racial justice and all the happenings of the past few weeks. And without naming names, I want to just share some of the great responses that that I've heard from y'all this past week. One person writes, this morning I emailed my mayor asking about our police policies on use of force, body cameras and de-escalation techniques. It's not much right now, but I'm hoping to become more informed and hopefully to advocate for change is needed. I think that's a great first step to be taking right now. Got a lot of likes from fellow members of the Courage community. It's a great idea and something to inspire change in your community. Another person said, I checked in on my coworkers and I'm doing my best to be an ally without being performative. I'm listening to people of color, sharing people of color, supporting people of color, and standing up and taking on the labor of educating people close to me when they don't understand. She goes on to say, I'm also emailing HR today to ask about diverse recruitment channels since our office is pretty monotone. Great actionable steps here to inspire your next steps, too. Another person said, I took the Harvard Association test. Thanks to Jess, by the way, for mentioning that and recommending it on the last podcast last Thursday. She said, I also helped create a list of Black-owned businesses. And at my workplace, I started scheduling beautification projects in town and did a ton of dropping off supplies. Since she works for an environmental nonprofit. Awesome. And finally, one more person of the many folks who commented last Friday wrote I just started reading Just Mercy, which is a book by Bryan Stevenson, New York Times number one bestseller, subtitled A Story of Justice and Redemption. She goes on to say, I facilitated the first diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice communications meeting and ate a pint of low-fat cookies and cream ice cream from Trader Joe's. I think that's the perfect note to end this episode on, y'all. Do what you can for the world right now and then do something for yourself. I want to echo Tiffany's excellent sentiments here today and say, in order for us to change the world It starts with changing ourselves, right? And it it also requires taking care of ourselves. So think about what radical acts of self-care you can bring to your life, to your day, to your week and get out there and let's, let's make some changes really happen and let's make them happen in a sustainable way. Thanks as always for listening. If you know someone in your world who could use this episode right now, share it. You can share it from right here in your... Apple podcasts app, if that's where you're listening or share it via our website, bossedup.org slash episode two, three, four until next time, keep Boston in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll lift as we climb.